welcome to Primordial Tao, Present Tao, a podcast about all things Taoism. Our conversations and interviews will discuss ancient and modern Taoist wisdom teachings, spiritual practices, seasonal longevity and healing traditions, relationship guidance, and profound insights on walking an authentic and meaningful path, however you choose to walk it. Welcome home to the ocean of Tao. I really want people to like have the experience of considering this experientially, not just listening to me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever hit the experience of being at your wit's end? Oh, yeah. What's that like when you're like, Ugh. It's kind of scary, actually. But at the same time, what happens to the processing, ideational, I'm going to figure this out mind? It redlines. But what happens to the part that's talking? When you're at your wit's end? Yeah. It goes kind of mad. I, I always just have the picture of it, like throwing up its hands in the middle of an argument, walking out and slamming the door saying, fine, I'm not going to talk to you right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Like so, I, so if you don't have an internal dialogue and ideation, bring on the wit's end, please. Right. Because wit's end, it's the end of the The wit witty part. creative coyote right. mind going like, I'll figure this out. I'll show you if, if dopamine anticipation. Nah, nah. Right. So it's like breaking the scrolling on your phone. Welcome to Primordial Tao, Present Tao. This is episode 11, Zen, Taoist Alchemy, and Apophatic Realization. Dr. Mike's in the house! <laughs> Yo, my peeps! <laughs> um, welcome, podcasters, listeners from all over the world. Uh, we're back for episode 11, and I'm here with Dr. Mike. Uh, how you doing, Mike? I'm well. A little, little bit of a recovering from a sore throat, but outside of that, I mean, we're here. This, there's finally snow in the, so far, what I would call a kidney-deficient winter, but uh, it's catching up. Kidney-deficient winter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> explain. I don't know if I want to go on this tangent, but explain that <laughs> one. <laughs> so if you think of the the five elements, the kind of as the seasons, and their their job is to make nature work. But it's like a pendulum. So if winter isn't, at least in where I live up in the mountains in the, you know, Western Canada, if there isn't enough snow, like building up in the snowpack in the mountains, besides making the skiers happy, <laughs> which is a big thing, um, there's bigger risk of forest, risk of forest fires in the summer. Mm. All plant life needs that water, that kidney essence in a way, that ching, that source of life from the top of mountains to all of the ponds that are in the mountains, to all of the lakes, to all the rivers. So without that, you know, we call shodian, like the sealing and constraining and gathering of Jing or in nature's context water, it can't melt in the summer. So spring can't spring, summer can't flower. Wow. Fall would just be like a zombie wasteland of, you know, partially grown kind of half life in a way. Right, so it gets into like the snowpacks. 
Yeah. And that's the thing, like where, where we live here up in the mountains, like every year based on forest fires, the year before everyone celebrates, like there's 20, 30 feet at the top of so-and-so peak. And that means the chance of forest fires is that much less in like the next, you know, six, seven months. Hmm. Interesting. I've never so actually like thought of it that way. Yin being water, yang being fire is a very simplistic kind of example. But, you know, where I live, that's a pretty glaring, might kill your, you know, herd of goats kind of example. Right. Huh. Interesting. So we're going to yeah. get into some pretty cool stuff today. Hey, Mike. That's the plan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, so Zen Taoist alchemy and apophatic, not apathetic. No, not, not, <laughs> this is not about apathy, although <laughs> uh, if you go into that kind of practice, like I can almost guarantee that you're going to land in and around apathy at the, the kind of, this is a funny thing about Taoist practice is it's not so much about effort. It's more about a kind of imminent patience, but you have to be so sincere and so committed to that, that you can run into your own apathy you know, is it really worth it? I'm kind of cool already. You know, if you want to <laughs> look at my new robe I got from Amazon or whatever, but you know, when, when you really go into the inner world, uh, and we can get into the meaning of apophosis and stuff like that, you know, when it comes up, but, uh, yeah, there, it's, there's a, a very, with Zen, uh, Neitan Taoist alchemy, uh, and where they take you there, there's, that's where the proverbial rubber hits the road. What's your experience with things like Zen or Chan or uh, any kind of inner cultivation that uh, you've played with so far? Uh, it's pretty interesting in the sense of, you know, kind of modifying the relationship with kind of like the thinking mind or uh, I think what you call the default mode network mm -hmm. is just the way the mind runs and maybe creating a little bit more space between that. Uh, in my personal experience, what I've noticed is uh, just the space, spaciousness, having some maybe breaks between thinking, more presence, more awareness, and uh, more peace. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like uh, the beginning of this, because I think this is a pretty deep well that goes pretty far down into some things that really we have a hard time explaining with words. Yeah, I mean, the first line of the Tao Te Ching, which is sort of the offspring of, of uh, Chan or, you know, sitting in tranquil silence, that, that first line is Tao Ke Tao Fei Chong Tao, you know, so if you're trying to explain it, one, notice you're still talking in your mind, and two, yeah, good, good luck putting that into words. As we have a podcast about putting yeah, it into words. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you said that, I was having the same moment, like, here we are talking into a microphone about this stuff <laughs> <laughs> why meditate one way to dive into this question i think because uh, i actually bring this up with patients sometimes and i like you, you want to play a little role play for a minute let's do it uh, sometimes i'll ask my patients hey this is going to be a weird question but could you teach me how to relax or hey do you, could you teach me like some basic meditation and of course, when I'm looking at my patients and they're asking me for all of this help, one that kind of reverses things and that kind of state break is good for people mm -hmm. to just stop and go, oh yeah, the doctor patient thing can, can be like a bit plastic. Right. So to make it more elastic and playful and, and intuitive and spontaneous and collaborative, 
I ask people that, but it's also obviously almost like a passive aggressive manipulation in a way of <laughs> saying, dude, do you know how to relax? Cause you know, in a playful way asking you, Hey, could you teach me to relax? Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'll also ask people, you know, have you ever wondered why meditation has been around like since the beginning of time or maybe even the beginning of language or, you know, what do you think people used to do during ice ages? You know, when we had, you know, so, so many limited options with respect to the, you know, how, how, how do you, how few options we had about getting around, like where to go, what to do, how many, how few people or animals or things were, I guess, in our interactive dynamic and in the context of the Chi of winter, which we were just speaking about, ice ages are kind of the great, great grandma, you know, or grandpa of what winter is. And mm. winter is about the mind and the kidneys and stillness and silence and resourcing and recovering and regenerating. You could say like, in the, in the way we're talking about putting the fires out of, of summer, you know, in, in the natural world, meditation, you could say, is almost like snow that gathers in the mind in the sense of a calm, nourishing, cooling, refreshing aspect of Jing. And I'm not saying that in that for the listeners who um, may think I'm talking about the alchemic transformation of Jing. That's not where I'm going. I'm just speaking about the state of just rest and, and letting thoughts settle like falling snow right. and letting things go you know, that we're always like stirring up or playing with. And when we sink into that, when things really get going in the sense of, say, you get a phone call from, I don't know, your ex or your landlord or somebody's lawyer or something and the fires of the heart or the mind are, ah, if you have a certain amount of winter stillness, the mm -hmm. ice age tranquility that all of our ancestors had to live through, it's a need. Big time especially in our modern world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the modern world hates it. You know, here, here's another example. And I, 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 cause I, I have, I don't know, a bunch of different hobbies and jobs where I'm interacting with people. And when it comes to, if I'm doing like bush skills with people, you know, tracking, trapping, hunting, you know, how to live in the bush without anything. <laughs> Most of you at the time in, in your day-to-day -day life is waiting, mm. waiting for your traps to trap. You know, you set up fish sets, you know, along waterways that are passive. They just spring off a sapling or something. You're not sitting there with some thing because you're not, you don't, in, in kind of primitive bushcraft stuff, you go into the bush with nothing. And if you want to play like for reals, you're not allowed to pick up broken glass, tin cans or garbage. Unfortunately, you, you find almost anywhere on the planet now. So imagine you're out there in the bush doing it for reals. Everything is kind of set up passively receiving uh, what it is that's possible for you. So you can go and check your traps, check your fish sets, I don't know, go and chase something around with a, <laughs> a rock or whatever. But in that, most of the sense, even if you are hunting, you're, you're going to where the, your source of life, say a deer has its sources of life. So, you know, at, you know, dawn and dusk, there's going to be a time when all of them are going to go to water. So you go mm -hmm. and maybe climb a tree next to where they go to water and you wait and you set up your traps and wait and maybe you heat up some rocks and roll into a rawhide tub to you know boil up some water to cook down the bones or whatever of you know the things you've harvested and wait <laughs> so for maybe you know let's say the last 200,000 years the vast proportion of our interactive experience in the sense of anticipation of what will i find for food or what might i get in the sense of going and getting or what might i receive in the sense of trapping uh, or waiting for the plants to you know get seasonally at, at their their most 
nutrient dense and calorie dense sort of, you know, structure. Cause you don't want to eat this, the sprout when you can wait for the whole carrot. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's actually the nature of Chinese medicine is, you know, don't, don't consume all of the life before it's actually fulfilled its capacity to nourish life in itself. And that's sort of the beauty of, of honoring life, which means you have to wait for the carrots to grow. Oh my God, there's so much waiting. So when we think about modern life, which is so much driven by anticipation and comparison and what if thinking instead of what is experience, we really have a, an almost reflexive denial of the value of waiting. And that's just sitting and waiting, like you'd be waiting for the bus to come or I guess in the modern context, your Uber to show up, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or someone to email you or whatever. But it's, it's the, like where we actually get fidgety. Uh, I mean, I watch people in my, in my waiting room when I come out to, you know, you know, be five more minutes, see you in a moment. And I can just see people like almost vibrating in the waiting room chair, scrolling their phone, you know, ah, and I'm like, it's a waiting room. I should make some kind of like poetry on the wall about the beauty of silent sitting and waiting. But then I'm kind of imposing my thing on my patients before I even meet them. But um, it's just an example of how, how averse we are. To yeah. the, the sit, the still, the, the wait, the is. Because we're just so like itchy about the if, what if, what if, what if. Yeah, like back in the day before phones, like, you know, if you're like sitting on the toilet, you like read the <laughs> the, the, the soap container or something. Oh, right. Well, there's probably a whole industry that's died now about little like coffee table books or bathroom books, you know, back of the toilet books. Yeah. Like, no one needs those anymore. Because now waiting's phone scrolling, which is its own... Yeah, I mean, as a clinician, we could actually do a whole podcast about the danger of sitting on the toilet too long. Or uh, from a Qigong kind of yoga, lower Dantian perennial floor level, like you want to talk about Taoist alchemy, like it starts with your perennial floor in a way, like the once you know what you're doing. Mm. So like, yeah, sitting and doom scrolling is like doom for Dantian. Dantian dooming. <laughs> <laughs> doom Tian. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that, that's the thing. And I guess there, there's a thing I, I like to bring up around meditation, which I'll do really quickly. Um, cause it's about the formation of, of our adaptive conscious self. And it's based on, on sort of the oral uh, history cycles of indigenous cultures that I either belong to in a way or uh, have learned from. And if we go back to ice ages, most of human evolution at that point was happening at, happening at the beach when early proto-human primates had nowhere to live, no rain, no trees, no fruit, you know, so it was scavenge. And if you're at the beach and you, know, you see all the giant mussels on the, the rocks and, you know, all the things crawling around, it's like, oh my God, look at all that free brain nourishing fat, mm-hmm. you know, and calories that are just literally sitting there on a rock <laughs> by the thousands. And I've been to a couple of places that are pretty remote and the muscles are the size of your uh, full adult male hand, not a little tiny thing, the size of your thumb that you'd find in a store today. Right. Yeah. So imagine, you know, it's 200,000 years ago and ice age number seven shows up and all of our ancestors are, you know, sitting at the beach going, Oh, winter is back for maybe 20,000 years or something. And all of our, our, and our ancestors, all of us, unless you're from another planet and maybe that planet had ice ages too. So <laughs> play along, please. <laughs> Just for a minute. Um, the, the foundational experience, and I, I love sitting on the beach for this was imagine spending your entire life sitting at the beach day, night, those seven waves that come and go, the, the moon cycles the maybe slightly changing weather for your entire life 
and maybe generations of the history of what life can be, has been, and probably will be. Mm -hmm. Imagine being raised in that culture. Uh, my ancestors, the Dinesh people, uh, the the name for that world, which I'm, I'm not going to say because people tend to steal native stuff and appropriate it and stuff. Uh, but the word translates to feeding a baby at its mother's breast, half asleep and half awake. That's the first world. Mm. So what would that be like to, to be in, in the bosom of the mother as your culture? Nowhere else to go. You know, lucky there's fresh water pouring down a hill and the ocean full of food. And, and isn't it interesting that humans on, on a large statistical, uh, average, where do you want to go on a holiday? Well, I'm going to Mexico on the 20th. Beach, equator, oh. set me up, hook me up, <laughs> yeah. mother nature, right? So we, we have that, uh, race memory, right? Mm. So if that is a part of our experience in meditation, how close are you to what meditation is? You could say four, if your experience of life is sitting and waiting and listening and, and just flowing. Not, oh my God, I'm finally at the retreat center after, you know, the last three years of, you know, 70 hour work week. It's like, this is, there is no if. Right. And uh, I was reading an article that you had sent out, uh, talking about the spiritually awestruck hunter-gatherer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'd be the second world. So now here we are trekking around in the, in the bush and the, the big force of change is the seasons, the winds, like the, the, we call it in Chinese or Taoist practice, Ling, like the wind of heaven, the thing that's beyond the top of the sky that makes skies and land and people and animate, animate life possible in a way. Look, I'm moving my hand. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> How am I moving my fingers? I right? can't see that in a podcast, right? But it's just, uh, I have that idea that if you were, you know, and this is 98% of, you know, actual, you know, a homo sapien history is gathering and waiting or harvesting or what we like to go hunter gatherer because we want to be like, you know, hunters unless you're a vegetarian or something. So now we live in this world where it may be a little more dynamic in the sense of our, our food supply or our resources and stuff. But again, trapping, tracking, sitting, waiting, you know, hanging out in the branch of a tree with a pokey stick and waiting to jump on something. So although we're, we're waiting in a different way, the world is now moving in a, in a more dynamic change instead of say like, let's say there's maybe two seasons at the beach. Now there's four. Mm. But those four seasons are like gods because if they're in a good mood, everybody lives. If they're in a bad mood, not everybody lives. Right. Yeah. Back in the day, the consequences were way higher. Yeah. But when we sit in meditation and we arrive uh, in consciousness as that, this is. You've got to balance those four directions on, say, the medicine wheel in the modern context of indigenous practice. Right. Or the seven directions, if you want to get picky about something else. But the, the idea here is though, is to look at the structure of mind as we uh, arrive in mind mm -hmm. and check in. Do I remember it was not that long ago that we all went through an ice age and that's your birthright somewhere within the arising consciousness is a willingness and a satisfaction and an almost joy at just sitting at the beach, which you can do anywhere in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to play some beach noise on, you know, some kind of speaker in your your living room to kind of maybe entrain you into that. But it's just to remember that we all remember being that. So in in that context, in that world, meditation is that just one shift away. Hunter gatherers, there's a lot more dynamic, but things are still very unpredictable. Like every season, like summer, 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 summer throughout your life, there's only so many summers and there's maybe only so much change within the summers. But now the God or the wind or the spirit of summer is something that's as above, so below. It's moving through you. So now you're kind of like nature has four or five parts to it uh, as they move through the mind. So the point I'm hoping to kind of make here, (laughs) badly as I am, is that it's very cyclic. So no matter what arises in your practice, you accept it and allow it to move through its natural cycle. You know, we could talk about like cognition and just the flow of how thoughts arise and move through and eventually hopefully leave, you know, the the stage of the mind. Mm -hmm. And then we move farther into kind of pre, you know, uh, early agriculture or or agronomy. And now our lives are determined by walking around in the same place in in, in Indian culture, my Aboriginal background, uh, my grandmother's uh, people's language. That describes people walking around in the same place because we're, we're kind of tethered to the, the food, tethered to the carrots. Instead of using the carrots as bait for rabbits, we might trap the rabbits, but we also need to protect the carrots from the rabbits so we can get the carrots. So now our life isn't going and following and flowing, it's staying in a place, gathering resources. And then maybe you figure out how to, you know, make a trade with your friends at the beach and they have some salt and now you can ferment your foods in a way. And now you've got kimchi or something in a clay pot under the ground. And now you can have, you know, how many families around your village and all of a sudden the mind experiences life as accumulation and, and capacity based on resource and predicting uh, the outcome of the future based on how much you have of something. Right. So or, this would be like the starting of like separation, right? Yeah. Or the opposite, which is the imminent attrition of uh, your culture, your people, even your own life is determined by missing something or lacking something instead of going out and just being with the flow. And when you think about meditation in that context, now we're speaking to the enlightenment traditions, the ones where you can get something from doing this instead of you already are something as this. Right. And then we move one step further into culture. And again, I'm speaking kind of in three cultures because we're speaking English and I'm referring to to Navajo culture. And then, oh yeah, this is a conversation about stuff from Asia. But in, in the, that kind of fourth world context, you know, now we have religions that end in ism. I mean, the funny, it's the funniest thing to say Taoism, because it's kind of like the ismless ism. It's more like the perspective of perception than the perspective of being right about something. Right. Right. <clears throat> so when we get into the isms, now we have wars over religion instead of let's all sit down and meditate and who has the best answer to the problem. Right. You know, and that, that's where, I mean, it's like, a, again, it's a, it isn't about right and wrong. It's about looking at the wheel of time as it, you know, rolled along and how, how we've experienced it as consciousness, as human beings, but also as modern 2000 and now it's 2024, OMG, and I'm using OMG as an actual 
<laughs> you know, part of my language now. Shun <laughs> <laughs> will be speaking in emoji, right? Yeah. So, so it's just to like bring ourselves back, and I, I'm not trying to go into some, you know, the weeds of this because I, I really want to encourage anyone who hears this, um, hopefully in a supportive or helpful way, to just sort of smile and go like, okay, if I start this in the modern context against the shenanigans of modern life you could spend your entire life in there just staring down something staring down at you about who if one of us is right <clears throat> one of us is wrong you know there there's there's something to move against mm -hmm. you know and as we go back in time in the context of the structure of mind the structure of practice if at a certain point in time we even had practice because waiting is waiting was so I bring that because when people think like, well, what's, what's this thing about meditation, man? Like, why do people do that? What's so important? It's like, if you don't have time to sit in stillness and reflect, you're missing something you have needed since you were a primate. Mm -hmm. And that time that we have is getting shorter and shorter with all of our distractions. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of where when people say like, why do people meditate? It's like, well, why wouldn't you naturally reflex? I mean, again, I'm making jokes about sitting on the toilet. I mean, that used to be like the sacred space of like, okay, I'm just going to, I remember working at this factory once and I used to go to the bathroom to just get a break from all the people and noise. And my boss used to get kind of worried. Like, are you okay? You're in the bathroom a lot. I'm like, yep, just meditating. And he looked at me like I'm a crazy person. <laughs> hmm. You know, so we don't, if we don't strategically or tactically choose places of solace and silence and stillness it's like we're missing vitamin s which is a need for your neurophysiology in fact a part of your brain cannot grow properly or regenerate properly without periods of time of silence and if we just have a look at what our modern world is kind of going through with like uh, depression anxiety pills like there's there's a tremendous need for yeah, those things. And, yeah, and that—that that, that, I mean, and th thanks for bringing that up because why? Why do we need chemical? I mean, I'm a, I have a weird imagination, so I'm thinking about cartoons where some cartoon goofy animate character bonks another one on the head with like a big rubber mallet, and the little birds fly around, and its face goes ah. Like we do that to ourselves with chemistry to just state break, to just get out of our head, to stop being able to have causal looping. <clears throat> Half the sleeping pills. Uh, in medicine nowadays are called sedative hypnotics. They're really wow. bad for your brain, but they make it impossible for you to remember what you were thinking about for more than about five seconds. What? And if you break like memory formation, uh, kind of, you know, we have looping ideation, like yeah. looping thoughts. Imagine someone just keeps like shorting the fuse of that every five seconds. So you're like, you can start a sentence going, you know, when I had that argument with my whoever about the whatever and the, th what was I thinking about? You know, that time, well, you know, you know, someday I'm, uh, uh, and then it, at least you can't build up the momentum of ideation. Wow. So we we're, we're, you could say wound up enough that we actually need something that just shorts up the ability to have a complete sentence. But that meets a need. And I, I, I love the, saying this for, for people who meditate and for people who are trying to figure out why people meditate. And I'm going to ask you this, and, and please, as the listeners, like I'm asking the listeners, you as the listener, this too, but I'm 
talking to Ravi here. So <laughs> I'm the listener. <laughs> well, just because just, just I, I really want people to like have the experience of considering this experientially, not just listening to me, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever hit the experience of being at your wit's end? Oh, yeah. What's that like when you're like, Ugh. It's kind of scary, actually. But at the same time, what happens to the processing ideational, I'm going to figure this out mind? It redlines. But what happens to the, the part that's talking? When you're at your wit's end? Yeah. It goes kind of mad. I, I always just have the picture of it, like throwing up its hands in the middle of an argument, walking out and slamming the door saying, fine, I'm not going to talk to you right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Like so, I, so if you don't have an internal dialogue and ideation, bring on the wit's end, please. Right. Because wit's end, it's the end of the, the wit witty part. creative coyote right. mind going like, I'll figure this out. I'll show you if, if dopamine anticipation. Nah, nah. Right. So it's like breaking the scrolling on your phone. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, like, I mean, that'd be a fun virus to throw into the world <laughs> in the, in the sense of like computer viruses where the scrolling function on your phone, your phone stops scrolling every like a minute and a half for like an hour. You're only going to, you're only allowed to have a minute and a half of scrolling per day. Or, yeah. Then it pauses or something. Hey, Cause you're at your wits that's a good end business idea. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be on the list of apps to make, but yeah. But that, that, that's just another example of like, oh yeah, that's why we meditate to, to get into a state break where you actually, hopefully with like humor and compassion, like I'm at my wits end with this whole talking monkey brain, slamming the door, shut up, I just need a break. You know, I mean, that, that comes off as kind of adversarial. It's meant to be kind of funny in the sitcom sense, but. Mm -hmm. And again, silence is the need. Silence on the outside allows for silence on the inside, but you need how much silence on the outside before you're done with all the monkey shenanigans and recapitulations and neuroticisms that we all have. No finger pointing here, you know, because mm -hmm. until you have enough outer silence, how, how can you actually arrive and arise into inner silence? Yeah. You were saying something about how the only thing that really can work for that as silence or like the sound of like a creek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's for uh, when we want to use silence to regenerate the hippocampus, which begins around four hours of just being in ambient nature sounds like the last 200,000 years, <laughs> you know, and waiting, simply waiting, right? And you could call that in the, in the context of say Chinese medicine, Taoist practice, we would call that yang sheng or that's like nourishing vitality or just good health practice. But um, in, in modern China, they call it mental hygiene. Interesting. You know, in the sense of get the broom in there. <laughs> or as I always like to do is walk around with a little shh, shh, shh. <laughs> the, the sound of the broom kind of like just brushing the thoughts off the stage of the mind so that the auditorium of consciousness can at least be empty mm. of the reflexive butterflies in your stomach kind of driven ideation and thought and plans and reactions and stories. And then we come to the present moment. Yeah. And that, that that's the doorknob. I mean, that's not the practice. That's just the doorknob. Yeah. That's like the guy at the door, like, Hey, you're in. Yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. Like the bouncer. <laughs> the, so, again, all the great movies with the, the secret, you know, yeah, the velvet club, rope. Club <laughs> the, the velvet rope. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> the the bouncer of life is actually just shutting up. Yeah, no doubt, hey. That's really kind of how a lot of these practices that we're going to speak about mm-hmm. start. Mm-hmm. It's like we got to find our silence. Yeah, and but but I would also say just in the the sense of instead of aspiring to oh well now I I can I can shut up I can be still and then what instead of saying if now hope I can get more get less whatever the get mind is doing mm-hmm. you can just be like okay I've actually arrived at my birthright of being and for most people and I mean that in, in like in a like if I was applauding like for most people congratulations you know brother, sister, friend, you come home to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would be a pretty monumental, being careful about words, but like an achievement. I want to say achievement, but mm-hmm. that's the wrong word. Well, I mean, uh, if uh, undoing can be allowed to also be achievement. Yeah. So, Mike, so like, the so we come into silence and we come into stillness and... For most people, I would say that's, I don't even know if it, I would say good enough, but you know, that's, that's quite a, you know, it's really going to change the way that uh, they operate in the world, right? A lot more peace, a lot more happiness, a um, lot more maybe authenticity in relationships. So then we get into like some of these practices that go even deeper, mm-hmm. like this Chan, the Zen. Um, so what are these practices for? Like, why would someone sit in a monastery for, what, 30 years or, and just meditate? Yeah. That, that's the game, eh? And then this comes up to a, a really fun question. And I, I studied Zen formally in the Rinzai tradition. I started when I was 18 with a sword fighting teacher. And, um, and I, I want to play this out because I want to honor this person. His name was Stephen True. He was a... Uh, amazing human being who shout out to Stephen true yeah he's he's on the other side uh he was diagnosed with a morbid kind of uh, diabetes when he was six and they said he was probably wow. gonna die but by the time he was 13 and uh he lived in well into his uh, late 40s um but when i met him he was losing his vision and he was losing the the muscular tone in his hands uh but he was also um like a uh, Shinkageru, uh, shadow style, a uh, Kenjutsu sword fighting teacher and Zen teacher. And to see the eyes of someone who had committed so much of his life to studying swords, making swords, he had a, like a forge in his, like, you know, on his land and stuff, uh, to make weapons. He taught me how to make swords. You're looking over there, there's <laughs> two handmade, like live for real, like Japanese swords. And one of them he gave me is sort of a lineage passing on. Uh, of his tradition and um but the thing i want to bring people's imaging to or imagining is imagine you're studying to to learn to be a sword fighter and the person you're standing in front of is clearly on a really intense cusp about life because they're dying and their body's wasting away but they're also like a master of embodied potential like this person we used to fight with like live cattle prods so that if you got zapped it wasn't like pew, pew, you know i got you no you didn't it's like zap and you're you know your back is arching and you're like okay point for you <laughs> <laughs> you know but over the the time i studied with him you know he, he was getting more blind he was losing more capacity in his hands then he lost one foot then he lost another foot 
uh, so now I'm, I wasn't actually studying to be an engineer. I was designing prosthetic feet for him, um, so that we could keep training. And, uh, anyway, so just, I, cause I want to bring up the, the, the reality of that, of, of looking at your Zen teacher and your sword teacher, you know, as they literally are losing parts. And he used to make jokes about it, like as a sword fighter, like, well, you know, got my leg chopped off. Oh, well. <laughs> He's a very funny guy. Very, I wish I had videotapes of his, his humor. But anyway, um, anytime we're training and, you know, he, he would, I'm, I'm not a very good sword fighter. I didn't get to train with him long enough. But uh, he, anytime he would like trick me into something or I, I'd make a mistake and bonk, there you go, or zap. There you go with like an actual <laughs> And I'm not a very big person, so cattle, <clears throat> cattle prod tends to like do a lot. He would say, where was your mind? Where did your mind go? And, and I would actually have to like go back three seconds or whatever and be like, ah, because he was teaching me how basically he was just moving a part of my mind around playfully. And that was at the beginning of my, what I would call lineage connected uh, martial arts training. I'd been, I've been training since I was 10, but I, until you meet like legit lineage holding people with teachers and students going back hundreds and hundreds of years, you, you, you don't have that experience. It's not always like going to be the best, but it, it's an experience anyway. Um, is it anything like it's in the movies? It's everything like it's in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like the movies because that's what it's like. <laughs> uh, but, but again, like there's, there's this person who's like, what happened to your mind? And you realize that at a certain level of practice, especially consciousness practice called Zen, if you will, in, in one way that this works martial arts, is, is if you understand how mind works and, and it's in the context of say sword fighting or other martial arts things, you're often four times faster than everybody else around you because everybody else is in the if mind and you can faint them out. I mean, that's the, like boxing, the sweet science, the, you know, the beautiful art of boxing is how to trick someone and then whack them upside the head really hard, or punch them in the liver, you know, and you got pads on your hands and stuff. So, you know, boxing is another example of how the one who's the most in the deep is state can always knock around somebody in the what if state because it's too slow to keep catching up to the anticipation of what if this, what if that, because then you have like two or three things that are in front of you. So you're always projecting into the future, the, the potential. Whereas if you drop back into the immediacy of now and you just stay with, you know, whatever you're touching or whatever you're, you know, say it's swords or something like that now it's sensitivity it's it's not trickery mm. yeah it's feeling right and it's the same thing in qigong practice you know you can do the moves by imitating the moves on the outside but until you're really training from the inside out you haven't really been training you've been learning how to train so zen chan you know sitting in quiet uh realization starts with oh yeah when I'm out there fiddling with my conscious awareness, like trying to learn how to trick people with this, you know, sword fighting exercise, you're say from a Taoist point of view, you're, you're not only in the post heaven mind, you're in the manipulating, you know, response kind of like tricky mind. So what happens if you can go from the post heaven kind of tricky mind into the felt sense presence is sensing mind, the interactive mind. And what if, I wish I had a little drum roll, da, 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 da. what <laughs> if that's actually the beginning of a trajectory? So we have 
busy, tricky mind. Then we have sensing is connected mind. And then we might lean a little farther back into it, into I am just perception. And then if you're willing to dive off the proverbial diving board of what if, but I mean, that is a joke. What is consciousness before the identity of perception? Because it's no longer me or you perceiving our felt sense of immediacy. It's perception as perceptions experience of, you know, the isness. And what if that trajectory keeps going? Like in, in one sense of Tao's practice and in the unborn mind part of Zen, at least that, that tradition of Zen is just said as the unborn mind. The mind before the mind. Well, the mind you had when you were born, but before you were born. So you're now like, say, out of the proverbial womb, you know, think of that literally, but think of that kind of as an energetic symbolic thing. You know, you wake up every morning and, oh, and as soon as the mind starts going, blah, 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 that overwhelms the part of you that's just uh, innately awareness, mm. right? Unborn to the world, unborn to self, uncontrived, un, 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 uh, unpainted with, with the graffiti of ego. Pure. Yeah. And then you just keep going back and then back. And what is consciousness as the universe? Because this is a, a, a weird thing to consider, but, you know, here we are, you know, post-primate humans sitting in my living room. Having I was, was going to say post-COVID. <laughs> or post-COVID, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and we can exist because of evolution and how DNA seems to do this thing that allows it to adapt, evolve, build, you know, mobile animate structures that eat, sleep, poop and you know procreate uh and thus you and i exist in this conversation and everyone listening so there's something in the universe that on a material level knows what it's doing and organizes itself in a way adaptive responses biologically to produce everything from bacteria to podcast you know promoting primates or whatever <laughs> so we, we 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 can see that you know kind of playing itself out on like say dna or like evolution of animals and stuff so there's something in the world that has to be there in the world in its own makeup accident or you know by by you know cause in some way clearly like that has to be true what what, what if it and this seems kind of obvious but i want to be playful about how i bring this up what if that's implicitly necessarily true about consciousness there has to be something that is a source of consciousness for consciousness to arise next to biology. You know, and there, there's sort of the left foot, right foot argument of biology leads, you know, adaptive capacity, which leads the evolution of sense organs, which leads to our perception, which leads to our societies and egos and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you can take it that way, which is a bit cynical, or you can go, of course, there's something behind the curtain that is consciousness that wants to play as life, as animate physical life. So why not keep leaning back 
from your egoic separate self to your reunified self as all self to what's behind the unborn mind, what's behind the curtain to the point where you're kind of reaching into the void, like the, the, the before the consciousness arised. Mm -hmm. So now you're at the immediacy of, in a way, the big bang of consciousness. And it may or may not have some date and the way people like to lay stuff out. But again, that's that left brain causality thing. If we know when that happened, then this and then, and if, and then, blah, 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 blah. Or you can say, clearly there's snow on the mountains that melts and creates the conditions for running water, which seems to make oceans possible. And we seem to be oceaning, mm. you know? So when we come back into that cycle, instead of trying to get the answer, we can keep positioning ourselves kind of on a pendulum. And in our practice, you know, we're swinging forward on the pendulum and then we maybe do a little ritual thing or the Nagong kind of practices to get us into embodiment, into breathing, into centeredness, beyond centeredness, beyond centeredness, to this point where we hit this kind of like resonant coherence. And then who is the one meditating? So would you say that at that point, you're just kind of like, uh, I guess, like the witness? Well, the funny part about the way you said that is there was still a you. Mm. So your perception or consciousness as you could. Or... And there's still a you. Oh my God, this is... <laughs> I see the conundrum here. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> and there's still a me there. <laughs> it's a Tory moments happen and podcasting too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, how are we doing a podcast about this? who's doing a what now <laughs> <laughs> so that's zen <laughs> there is no meditation there is no meditator there you know it's it's and this is kind of goes into where where, where Taoism kind of starts anyway too <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> Leaping backwards into the ocean of unknowing. Mm -hmm. But it's the backwards part. It's kind of the... It's like that trust game kids play. Right. You know, people think enlightenment is like some stairway to heaven, you know, rip off of a great great song. But uh, in actuality, what seems to really be happening is, is a trust game of falling back into the ocean from snowball to been there done that or uh, iceberg been there done that yeah iceberg to ocean yes it's a melting because like there's like i don't know if osho quoted this but i saw it on a meme with osho where it's like uh, we melt the iceberg of the ego until it turns into like an ocean of love oh damn i thought that was mine somebody else had that one oh, uh, damn. oh. see there okay, I, I mean it was mike's I, it was no, mike's no, no, no i'm making it <laughs> that's mine <laughs> the truth is mine <laughs> yeah yeah it's a great metaphor, a great visual metaphor and a great somatic metaphor because the, yeah. the, it's the melting and the, the admission that most of what's arising is coming from below the, the level of the ocean. 90% of the iceberg is below consciousness. So yes, please give me my unconscious fidgety things to bring it into consciousness so I can meet it, recapitulate it, move through it beyond it. And then as that process gains what you might think of as momentum, uh, somatically, psychologically, uh, around identity structure, 
at, at a certain point, the, the agreement is just melt it, just, just keep it in the light and, and let, let go. Or some people might say, let God, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but, um, you know, and, and then we have a, a way of tangibly interacting with an entering practice as, as embodied beings. And that's the big transition from Chan or Zen to, to Negong or Nedan is it starts with your felt sense and of embodiment because that's the, the tangible metric for your practice and the process and the progress. And this is a fun thing, you know, it's almost like two, two brothers stuck in an elevator in some high rise arguing with each other between there is no meditator, there is no mind, there is no self to the other one going, yeah, but as an embodied being, and this is the Taoist thing, uh, the body is the mind before the mind is the mind. So the thing that's, well, that's a weird way to say it. As perception, what keeps arising into experience has a source. In one sense, if you lean back into the ocean to the source of beingness, you can reside in that way. But at some point you're also going to have to say who keeps producing all of this ideation? Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's going on within this restless post primate human that keeps coming up with looping ideation or anxiety or depression or comparison, you know, and a lot of that's just the, I mean, this feels like I'm cursing people, but bring your awareness to your solar plexus. Think of the last time the butterflies in your stomach really kind of ran amok with your day in the middle of a conversation, a job interview, an intimate attempt to solve a problem in a, you know, deeply important relationship and how the felt sense of the butterflies stole something from your capacity to interact as consciously as possible. Because the dopamine, what if, anxiety driving function, evolutionary function of your solar plexus, you know, is, is to let you know this is a high consequence environment. But if we run into the left brain running in circles like a puppy trying to bite its tail, that's the one meditating, that's the one trying to have a meaningful conversation. If we can mm. take the, that, call it dashboard light of your, your, you know, butterflies and the solar plexus as go deeper, go lower, go inward before you say anything. Because if you want to have a meaningful conversation, you're going to have to get to the place where you feel the meaningfulness, not where you react to your fear. Mm. Right. And this is a, a big part of Taoist practice and Taoist alchemy is, has formalized itself around transmutation, um, with respect to what we call white down or external alchemy or actually physically mixing stuff like say mercuric oxide in a crucible to see if you can become immortal because people have been doing that around the world forever because why not <clears throat> but notice notice how far you're reaching with the what if dopamine mine when you're ingesting literally mercury, mercury yeah. <laughs> to see if you can live longer i mean that's a lot of pretty high consequence if yeah you know so when we like go, somebody took a left turn yeah left brain turn for sure almost into the chaos of you know how far can this go and how you know, what, what kind of risk are, are we willing to invest in to find out or, or be in control or have some kind of power over the, the system of biology? Because people sometimes take an immortality that way. Like, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live in another dimension forever. I'm so important or special or 
whatever makes the little bobble of the identity structure need to last. I mean, what an interesting thing to invest your existence in is I'm going to make the thing that's actually in my way, my way. Right. So Taoist alchemy, the, the Nathan practice says that's a great metaphor that that whole like control structure and, you know, win the game of keeping the identity alive. Like he, 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 let's use that as a reflection, reflection on maybe how to go inward in the other way. So instead of becoming immortal, and then this is kind of the way I would describe immortality or shen in, in one sense is wholehearted mortality. Hmm. Like you're here and then you're not going to be here. And if you're lucky, you're not going to be here while you're still here. Right. In the sense of who is the one meditating. Because if yeah. there's still a who, well, come back in 10 years and let's, let's try again. <laughs> I'm in. Right. So so this this is the game with, with um, Tao's practice. And again, it's choosing to orient itself as the body is the mind before ideation begins. So let's go into a process of becoming profoundly centered in state and work out the story. Mm -hmm. Work with the story, work deeper into state, work deeper into what's tangible. Notice when you really get into what you might call Dantian uh, interaction and forming and building the, what we call the Qing kind of bucket or the Qing uh, volume or the ability to actually be in your aliveness and not do stuff with it. Can I give you a somewhat graphic example of something? Let's go down that rabbit hole. Well, let's go down. So imagine, you know, you're a doctor and you've been doing it a long time and you get the, the men coming in in midlife who are having less than, you know, adolescent directions or whatever. And they want the herbs and the, the acupunctures and the breath work and the nitric oxide, whatever, to, you know, get things going. And what happens, you know, you, you know, they come back a couple of weeks later and you're like, so I'll say, Fred, Fred, how's the, you know, morning, you know, waking up with an erection thing. I often ask my patients, uh, God, I hope this is okay for people. <laughs> hey, uh, Fred, did you wake up in a tent every day? You know, in the sense of waking up with an erection, because that, that's from a Taoist and Qigong point of view, like whether or not your your kidney energy is actually like yes for sex or maybe no for sex for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hey, Fred, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, waking up in a tent every day. It's like, great. What are you doing with that? Oh, yeah, I've been, you know, having fun with myself in the shower three times a day. And I'm like shaking my head going, Fred. You're trying to build Jing, not spray it all over your shower wall. Pardon me for that. It's a little graphic. Okay. Graphic, okay. <laughs> well, you did you did start but, with graphic examples. I, I, I'm trying trying to make a point here. <laughs> I apologize for the truth of you know monkey shenanigans, but the the and this <laughs> this is meant to be about Taoist alchemy, right? So until we can actually allow our you know our inner virility as as beings masculine feminine and everything in between to build and actually be stable and actually be the pond in the mountains that's so still and calm that it's like a mirror because hmm. i don't know i mean how old are you robbie 34 34 i mean i don't know how much graphic personal stuff you want to get into you you know you're down for this or why not why not, why not? <laughs> thank, thank you for your courage brother yeah let's do this uh, I mean, I can speak to my experience of who, when I'll get, you know, red cheeks as we get sort of embarrassed in life, whatever. How, how, how long have you gone in your life without choosing to ejaculate? 
as an actual part of practice. Quite a while. Um, and what was that like? And we don't need to talk about the numbers because, you know, we don't want to stay in the... Well, after, after a little bit, it just kind of becomes a non-issue. It's... The body kind of just changes and adapts and... Um, yeah, it's it's actually quite a shift because then pornography is not so interesting. Um, and yeah, the energy kind of builds mm-hmm. and it kind of goes to other places. And I, and I feel more um, like more at peace because mm-hmm. otherwise there's like this constant need to be chasing something. Yeah. So waiting. It's a good way of putting it. Snow ching building on the mountains. Maybe melting through the passion of tangibly, deeply interactive practice, allowing that snow to melt and become that pond, become mm-hmm. that resource for the the source of life for everything around it. So that's where we're uh, building foundation, Zhuqi, the beginning of Taoist alchemy practice starts, is can you just chill a bit? Now, that doesn't mean you should or shouldn't have sex or should or shouldn't have orgasms. The question is, is can you actually just feel what it's like to wait, secure your essence, let it build as like a battery until all of the lights are on and you still have more mojo than you need? And can you just wait and then see what it's like to just be the container of that? And this isn't about sex bad. I mean, there's so much literature in the world, all around the world, about whether or not ejaculating or sex is like the problem with spiritual practice. I think it's like a doorway. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, as depending how old you are, if you're still virile enough that sexual uh, uh, yumminess is, <laughs> that comes to mind is, is still the yumminess of, of a big part of life, why not do a little fasting to do a little walk by the proverbial restaurant of your lover and, and just, mm, I'm going to come back to this, but I, I want, I, I want, I want my saliva to be running. I want my taste buds to be hungry. Um, in, in one native language that I'm familiar with, uh, and I'm not going to use the word, but the word we use for our kind of intimate partner means the skin that is the extension of my skin or the skin that my skin hungers to touch, mm. you know, my other skin. And, and in that way, you know, if, if we're always just, uh, satisfying the itches for, for orgasm, you know, once, twice, three times a day or a week or whatever, depending on how old you are, um, you're just feeding at the buffet, which is fun. But if you want to build the container of Dantian, build the capacity, you just once or twice in your life need to just chill. And I mean that with a bit of dimensional humor about snow and water. So so that we, we know what it is to be aliveness and stillness and potency and patience. And then this thing that we, we ideate around or people write funny books about what Don Tien is, is now a tangible interaction that isn't a location, it's a relationship. And sure, there's a center to that relationship that we play with in a lot of ways with breath work and stuff to be centered in the center of it, because at a certain point we want to look through the eye of the hurricane of the center of the center of Don Tien, because what's actually the spark there? 
and then what's the source of the spark there? And we just did this thing with the mind and the Zen sense, which is kind of top down. It's the same thing from the bottom up. What is the origin of your uh, physiological existence? Right? And it's a tangible experience when you tap into that, oh yeah, place. Mm. And leave it there and reach into it and realize that is in, in one context of relationship, not a now, not a thing, not a what if, I think I know the answer, blah, blah, blah. It's a state of being sourced in like almost a, in physics, we would call it like a kernel, like the, the, the activating crystal-like source of the ignition of, of light or energy or perhaps even some kind of nuclear explosion or something. Because actually when we, and I'm, I used to be an engineer, uh, when we figure that out around the difference between nuclear, you know, fusion and fission, like when we get that figured out where we can hold that kernel active and have, you know, 33,000 degrees inside some chamber producing enough energy for, you know, a hundred cities or something like that, we're doing what alchemy Nidan is, is attempting to do with the innate energy kernel that makes you ex your existence as physiology possible. And I'm not speaking about anything magical. I mean, clearly that's happening on the level of each of your cells. So we can get literal about the location of Dantian, or we can use that, and I'm using air quotes here, location as a way of centering in on what might be happening in 60 trillion cells at the same time. So the location isn't the interesting part. It's recognizing what the universe is already doing through you as you helplessly be on you <laughs> sorry <laughs> but also at, at the same, in a way you can embrace it you know and, and I'm kind of leaping a, uh, in, in a different direction but in indigenous traditions when they talk about creation and creator and things like that the most common terms are like there's I mean in the in the Lakota language which for some reason has become a kind of the native language in the west I think because of Western cowboy movies or something, <laughs> the word that's the term that's used is Wakantanka or Wakantanka, or I'm trying to say like <laughs> Wakantanka. Um, that translated from its own language means vastly beyond all possible comprehension. Doesn't mean creator. It kind of implies creationing in the sense seems to keep happening seasons keep happening it doesn't seem to be broken so i don't seem to have to do anything about it so unlike a lot of religions i don't have to know god to take over the steering wheel just in case god falls asleep right All right so i can just reside in the don't need to know which brings us to the kind of the next part of the conversation In the spirit of patience, let's take a short intermission. When you are ready for part two, tap the link below. <laughs>